want to start off with a powerful story. It starts with an old man who is sitting on a train, and it rumbled peacefully along the countryside. And he was enjoying the view and the quiet atmosphere of the train car until, at one stop, a young man got on the train and sat across from him. And this man was sweating visibly, gripping his knees, and occasionally stealing a nervous glance out of the window. So concerned, the old man asked if there was anything he could help him with. And the young man looked at him, and after sizing him up, apparently decided that he could trust him. So he said, I'm not sure you can help me, but I guess I may as well share. I, I grew up just a few miles from here. In fact, my parents still live there. And my parents bless me with an incredible childhood full of love and support and every opportunity I could ask for. But unfortunately, I gave them the exact opposite in return. I was ungrateful, selfish, rude, and oppositional, causing trouble wherever and whenever I could, and I eventually left them, deciding to strike it on my own, free of them and their controlling atmosphere, at least that's what I thought. And they were heartbroken. And they tried for years to reconcile with me, but I ignored their every effort. I was working on building a new life for myself. And I began making connections and cutting deals and slowly building a life for myself that looked nothing like the honest, giving, value-based life that my parents lived. I cut any and every corner I needed if I thought that it would get me ahead. And I used people in ways that I should be ashamed of. But things didn't go as planned. Eventually, everything fell apart. Those who I considered friends were quick to abandon me as soon as our friendship stopped benefiting them. And my financial plans, they turned sour. And my shady deals were exposed for what they were. I, I borrowed and I begged. and But things just kept taking turns for the worst. I soon found myself friendless, penniless, and feeling completely alone and abandoned. And with nowhere to turn, I contemplated ending my life. But then I thought of my parents, how they spent years writing to me, pleading with me, saying how much they love me, before eventually giving up. And no, no, I thought to myself, there's, there's no way they would take me back. How could they? After everything I've put them through, but I debated back and forth for weeks before finally mustering up the courage to pen them a letter. And in it, I apologized for everything that I've done, explaining how low I've sunk, and I begged them to take me back. I, I then made a deal with them. I said that, on Tuesday, this upcoming Tuesday, I'm going to take the train, the one that passes right by their home. And if they were willing to accept me once again, then they should hang a little white flag on the tree in front of their house as a sign. And if not, I would keep riding the train. I would understand that I had simply gone too far, that they no longer had a place for me, and that I was completely on my own. 
And the young man who, who was now crying, he looked up at his, his older seatmate. And he said that we're two minutes from their house. I can't bear to look. He broke down completely. He's just sobbing. And the old man nodded with compassion and kindly assured him that he would look out the window. And he would check if there was a white flag. So the young man whispered his thanks, and he sat with his head in his arms, crying softly. And two minutes later, the old man gasped. The young man, who, who was unable to look, he frantically asked, What's going on? Is there a flag hanging? he asked. There was an air of panic to his voice. And the old man just slowly shook his head, gazing out the window in awe. And the young man finally gathered up the nerve to look, and his entire body was flooded with warmth because there wasn't a flag hanging in the tree. The entire tree was covered in white flags. And this beautiful and heartwarming story, it relates to a deep theme that is central to both this week's Parsha, Parsha's Veschanan, and the transition we find ourselves in between Tishbav and Elul. In Parsha's Veschanan, we read about the topic of Ir Miklat, the city of refuge for one who accidentally murders. And this Parsha always falls out immediately following Tishbav, and consequentially, right before Elul. So at face value, these themes do not seem to share a connection. I mean, the Ir Mikla is the city of refuge, a safe haven for one who unwittingly murders. And Tishbav is the day of sadness and destruction, the day of Hurban, where Klai Yisrael mourns the loss of the Beis HaMikdash and the tragedies that have occurred throughout Jewish history. And Elul? Elul is a month of Teshuvah, of repentance. So... What connection is there? What links these three topics together? So in order to answer this question, understand their deep underlying connection, we have to first delve into each of these three seemingly unrelated ideas. And the first is Tishabov. You see, on Tishabov we go through Avelis, which is the process of mourning a loved one. And at first glance, this seems to be an excessive response to the loss of a building, the Beis Hamikdash, the Holy Temple. Like, yes, it was the most important place, but why is this worthy of a velus of mourning? But the destruction of the temple itself was only the physical expression of a much deeper tragedy. As we've discussed in the past, the Beis Hamikdash was the locus, the makom, the place of connection between Hashem and this physical world. The Beis HaMikdash was destroyed as a result of the disconnect that we, B'nai Yisrael, created between us and Hashem, between us and each other, and between us and ourselves, our higher selves. We lost sight of the spiritual root of this world, and we shattered the connection between us and Hashem. And the Nefesh HaChaim explains that once this was broken, the physical vessel that represented this connection, the Beis HaMikdash, was reduced to an empty vessel. And now it can be destroyed, meaning the Churban on, on, on Tishabav only occurred because we had destroyed the spiritual connection that it represented first. 
and the death of a person reflects the process of one's soul separating from his or her body. The concept of death is the disconnect between a spiritual life force and its physical vessel. And when the base Hamikdash was destroyed, the world died. Because the soul of the world, Hashem, left its body, its vessel, the physical world, resulting in a cosmic spiritual chasm and a shattered reality. And yes, it's true, Hashem is still manifest in this world, but only infinitesimally compared to what it once was. And we mourn on Tisha B'Av, not for the destruction of a building, but for the death of the world. And we yearn for the day when Hashem will once again be fully and clearly manifest in this world, revealing the spiritual core of this physical reality. And based on what we've developed, it should now be clear why Klai Yishol was sent into Golis, into exile, as a result of the Churban Beis Hamikdash. A person who murders another intentionally is executed as punishment. But an accidental murderer, he's not executed, he's exiled. And when the Jewish people killed the world, when the neshama of the world left its body, we were sent into exile. We lost our home, our makom, Eretz Yisrael. And according to some opinions, this was in fact an act of mercy on the part of Hashem. As the Jewish people should have been executed for murdering the world. When you kill someone, you get killed. Mida connect mida, measure for measure. And they severed the soul of the world from its body. But instead, we weren't executed, we were merely exiled, retaining the ability to correct our mistake and return home. And this actually serves as a beautiful explanation of the Midrash in Echarabah, which states that instead of destroying the Jewish people, Hashem took his wrath out on the sticks and stones of the Beis HaMikdash. Hashem did not destroy us. Instead, he gave us a chance to rebuild anew. And the exile, our Golis, is in a sense a gift. It allows us to rebuild the connection between us and Hashem and return home once more. And this is exactly why Elul directly follows Tishabav. Tishabav is the time of breakdown, exile, and death. But Elul is a time of rebirth, creation, redirection. As we transition from Tishabav towards Elul, we pause, stop the downward momentum. We recalibrate and begin building anew. The low of Tishabav becomes the very impetus for growth throughout the month of Elul. And in this way, it becomes a Yerida Letzorich Aliyah, a breakdown for the sake of ascension. Elul, in the deepest sense, represents our journey back home to our proper makom, back to our unbreakable bond with Hashem. Which is why the goal of Rosh Hashanah is to genuinely and completely anoint Hashem as our king. And this follows only from a month spent bridging the gap that we have created between us. Elul is our voyage back home. As we reconnect Hashem to this world, we reconnect ourselves to Hashem. We reconnect the soul of the world back to its proper place. And the definition of teshuva 
is not really repentance, it's return. Shuv, to return. Because our goal at this time is to return. Return ourselves to our higher state. Meaning we yearn to return the world to its proper higher state, to return the Jewish people back to our elevated status, to return each and every one of ourselves back to our higher and true selves. We are returning everything back to its actual higher true state. And the process of return is a sweet one, but it's also a difficult one because we feel as though we are fighting an uphill battle. We struggle to maintain our momentum. I mean, every year we approach Elul and there's this underlying sense of dread as we prepare ourselves for another year of New Year's commitments, New Year's resolutions. We write down the same list of goals only to be forgotten two weeks later. But for many, this is, this is the unspoken terror of Elul. The feeling of despair and loneliness as we grapple to rebuild ourselves, as we grapple to rebuild our connection with Hashem. And this is why Hashem created the Ir Miklat. An Ir Miklat, a city of refuge, is a place for those without a place. When one loses his physical makam, his physical place, he feels lost, he feels abandoned, hopeless. And specifically at this point, he receives a sense of hope. He may have lost his place, but even so, there will always be a place for him in the interim until he can finally return to his true place. And that is exactly what the Ir Miklat represents. It is a hope for the hopeless. It's a home for the homeless. It's stability for the unstable. And there's an additional spiritual idea here which reveals the ultimate depth of this concept. You see, many people think that before Hashem created the world, there was nothing. But on the contrary, until Hashem created the world, there was everything. There was only Hashem Himself. As the Arizal, the Ramchal, and others explain, Hashem created the world by making a makam, a space, a void, a makam within Himself. And just as everything in the physical world needs space to exist, Existence itself required a space to exist. Meaning, Hashem doesn't exist within the world. The world exists within Hashem. Hashem doesn't exist. Existence is within Hashem. For example, if you have a cup which is completely filled with metal, you can't pour any water into it. Only if there is space in the cup, if there is room for the water, can you pour water into the cup. Before Hashem created the world, there was no space for us to exist. Because all of existence was occupied by Hashem. Enod Milvato, there's nothing but Him. To create the physical world, physical existence, Hashem had to make space within Himself for us to exist. And this is why Hashem is referred to as the Makom of the world. He is the place of the world. That's what the Midrash refers to Hashem as. We exist within that Makom. We exist within Hashem, so to speak. But there are times in our lives when we feel distant from Hashem where we don't feel this. We, don't, we, we question whether or not Hashem truly cares for us, loves us, or even believes in us. And specifically at these times that we refer to Hashem 
as makom. For example, in a house of mourning, avilus, it is customary to tell the mourner, ha-makom yenachin. The place will come for you. Why? Why would we refer to Hashem as the makom? It's because at this specific time, the mourner feels most distant from both their loved one and from Hashem himself. We therefore remind the Avel that not only is Hashem still your makom, but he's also still the makom of your loved one. In other words, we help the mourner feel close to Hashem and remind him that the mace, the dead relative, is still here in existence within Hashem, simply in a more spiritual dimension. And this is the idea of an ear miklat. When one feels lost, and loses their physical makom, we not only provide him with a different physical makom, but we also ensure that he realizes that he will always have an existential makom, Hashem himself. And this is the purpose of Elul. Tisha B'av reminds us about how broken life can become, about the genuine difficulty and challenge of life. But there will always be an Elul, an ear miklat, a makom. We always have a place to stay until the chaos fades. But when that happens, we mustn't remain in this way station. We have to arise and journey back to our true makom, to our true destination. Elul is our shelter amidst the storm, a lighthouse in the midst. It helps protect us during the madness but it also helps guide us back to our true destination. And whenever we pass by the month of Elul, Hashem covers millions of trees with white flags. Elul is Hashem's way of saying there will always be a place for you. But we must then make sure to dig our feet down and spring forward towards our true destination. When you get the opportunity to grow, to create momentum, and to progress forward, you have to run after it. And this is the very first step of teshuva. It's recognizing that we are not where we need to be. But that through consistent effort and the help of Hashem, we can get there. We can return to our true makam. We can ascend to a true Rosh Hashanah. The foundation for this is the fact that we still have a makam. We still have a makam in the interim, an ear, miklat, an elul, a place for those without a place. And this allows us to gain our footing, to create clarity and purpose, to strive forward on our journey back home. And may we be inspired to pause, to find our footing, and to use this Elul to strive forward back to our true Makom, Hashem Himself.